Before you dive into this exciting episode, I'd like to let you know about the Squash Playbook, your tactical blueprint for success. The playbook is written based on the most common solutions I have given to the people I coach over the last 20 years. It is the ultimate how-to guide for any squash fan, and you can grab a free copy right away by visiting squashplaybook.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. Are you freaked out by that hard-hitting hacker? Frustrated with running out of ideas against the relentless retriever? Want to close out matches more clinically when in the lead? Or do you need some mental tools to overcome bad calls by referees? These answers plus many more have been brought together all in one place for the squash community. The Squash Playbook is a practical toolkit that breaks down over 40 scenarios that are most commonly faced on the court. Each scenario provides the psychology and the strategy needed to get a positive result. Each chapter wraps up with the top six key points to keep things simple and practical. The aim of the book is to transform reactive players into proactive tacticians. I focus on breaking down complex situations into straightforward, effective strategies for those high pressure moments in a match. So why not grab your copy now and step onto the court next time with a clear head and a set of strategies to win those matches you know you're capable of. Please enjoy the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next episode of the podcast series. Today, I'm happy to introduce Luke Butterworth, a former PSA player on the PSA World Tour who has channeled his global competitive experience into becoming one of America's leading squash coaches. Luke currently serves as the national junior coach for Team USA. He previously held the role of head coach for the Paraguay national squash team, leading them to a historic medal at the 2011 Pan Am Games. He is also the founder of LB Squash and currently holds the esteemed position of director of squash at Greenwich Academy. There, Lucas orchestrated the team's success, culminating in seven national championships, and he has a burning ambition for more. In our captivating conversation, we'll journey back to Luke's early days in the north of the UK, exploring the foundations of his squash journey. We'll discuss what sparked his move to the US and the prestigious coaching award he recently received. We'll delve into the fabric of Luke's coaching philosophy, his blueprint for success, and the reasons behind the triumphs of his players. 
He'll share invaluable advice for parents of young, talented players and identify some of the most prominent mental barriers holding players back. From discussing techniques for handling high-pressure moments to nurturing a player's confidence, Luke offers insightful guidance. We'll also delve into the importance of mental training for junior athletes and the behaviors that distinguish the exceptional from the good. As we wrap up, we look ahead to the future of US Junior Squash with Luke's informed perspective on the direction it's heading. Get ready to dive deep into the wisdom and experience Luke Butterworth brings to our conversation. So without further ado, let's welcome the extraordinarily accomplished Luke Butterworth. Luke Butterworth, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Really cool to have you here, man. Um, I know we went back and forth a little bit. I saw you in December at the US Junior Open. But listen, firstly, how are you doing? How's life that side of the pond? Yeah, very good. Um, it's uh, the season. The dust has settled on the squash season here. So we're now just kind of having some downtime, just going through some changes in schedules and stuff like that before the summer training comes our way. But yeah, life's good. Uh, reflected on an amazing year and and now we're just, you know, getting ready for the next next chapter. Amazing. And we're definitely going to dive into why it was such an amazing year. And, and you know, you're going to tell us a little bit about that. But I always think like a cool place to kick off is maybe give a brief introduction to yourself. Not actually your name. We know who you are. But um, what what role and roles you are currently occupying? Yeah, so um, it's been a, it's been quite a journey to get where we are today. Um, I um, grew up in Huddersfield, England, in West Yorkshire. Um, and I, I left school around 16, 17 years old and, and kind of worked in the local squash clubs there doing, doing Paul Hornsby actually gave him my first ever job in Queens, Halifax, one of the famous squash clubs in Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I was doing some, you know, lessons, racket restringing, training and, you know, doing all the, all the things I could to make my way on the PSA tour and doing lots of traveling. Um, and kind of went from, you know, doing little bits of jobs and getting more and more passionate about coaching and then um, to help fund my 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 coaching career, I actually became a debt collector. Did you? No way. Yeah. <laughs> not, not many people know. I know uh, you don't. You don't definitely look, don't look mean enough. You got a nice smiley, happy face that is like debt collecting Luke Butterworth. I love that. Yeah. No. No one. Uh, no one. I never knocked on anyone's door, but it was more a telephone job. So the scary face uh, <laughs> it came up, came through through the voice. Um, <laughs> So I did that for a little bit, and then uh, I actually got a, an opportunity to move to the States when I was 19. Um, I came over to Stanford, Connecticut, um, pretty much, you know, on the on a whim, really. Um, I got the opportunity, didn't think twice, came out for like a two-week trial to see if I'd like it, see if they'd like me, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it ended up working out. Um, so then I came out, you know, worked my way through doing, you know, so many lessons that I can't even remember. Uh, met some amazing kids and and people along the way, and then I got my first, the second opportunity was at a country club in Greenwich, Connecticut, called the Roundhill Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of where I set my base because I had um, I had an eight or nine month contract there, and uh, it allowed me to go and play and travel in the summer months. So from like May to August, that's when I played all my PSA tournaments, basically. So I was like mm-hmm. a part time professional at that point. But I used utilize those moments of traveling, you know, the experiences of playing and, and trying to compete, but also meeting so many different people. It helped me in my my coaching career for sure. Um, and then uh, four years after being at Roundhill, I moved to Greenwich Academy, which is an all girls school in Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, it's a very successful school in terms of squash. Mm-hmm. Um, I've led the the program now to seven consecutive national titles 
uh, we we lost in the first year I was here. So uh, I think that was the the secret sauce that is the higher, <laughs> higher Luke Butterworth and the loss. But then I had to learn quickly. Uh, <laughs> managed to turn it around, and uh, we've won, we've won seven out of seven available. Uh, wow, since, dude, that's uh, incredible! Which been an amazing run. Um, and then during so the school squash season usually is from like the start of November until the end of February. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my early days of joining the school, I created LB squash. Um, just as it was a, basically an indication that boys couldn't play at the school because it's an all-girls school. So I needed to create something to create more of a community. Mm-hmm. And especially in Greenwich, Connecticut um, and Connecticut in general, at that time, you had to be a member of a country club to play squash. There wasn't many opportunities. There was no like local clubs. There was no Chelsea Piers like there is now. There's a big Chelsea Piers facility and a few of the squash clubs where you can just become a member of a, a squash-specific place. Yeah. So I created more of an open squash facility um, at the school and kind of explained to the schools the benefits of that, of getting people into sport. So LB Squash was created um, nine nine years ago now. Um, and we have, you know, almost 100 kids in the program. You know, probably like 50-50 boys and girls split, which is awesome right. um, of all ages. And, and yeah, so from that, we've got... Yeah, when well, we can touch into some of the successes as well. But the from there, I've worked with US Squash throughout my time in this position. Mm-hmm. I've worked my way up from uh, regional coach of Connecticut to Battle of the Border against Canada to leading now. This year was my seventh British Junior Open, I believe, and and I led it for the second time, uh, which was amazing. I love doing that with all the amazing kids and coaches from all the nation, and then being the head junior men's coach. Uh, for the World Junior Championships. I did the World Juniors in 2019, and uh, I was the assistant to Alex State, who's mm-hmm. a really good friend of mine and mentor. Um, and then uh, this year in 2022, um, in Nancy, France, I was the head men's coach for the team event as well, which was a really cool achievement. So, yeah, it's Incredible. been quite a journey, and, and, uh, but that's where I'm at. And the, the reflecting on this season, this season was super special. Um, I was... Uh, awarded with the national coach of the year award from the u.s olympic committee from u.s squash uh for all my achievements over pretty much i would say they were, they were talking maybe over the last four years since covid because there's been no award since you know trying kind of before covid and during okay. um and prior to covid um i felt like i had a good shot of, of two uh the under 90 because in 2018 or 2017, I was coaching Marina Stefanoni and Dylan mm. Mount. They both won the under-19 national title. And then uh, just before COVID, I felt like uh, one of my players, Nick Spaziri, had a good shot at the title. And and that could have been another back-to-back of under-19s, but Ooh, they got cancelled. Nice. Um, but then this year was super special because, um, you know, the program did so well. All my I took all my coaching team down. I received the award on, on Saturday night and then Sunday morning, uh, we ended up having, uh, we ended up with four national champions and uh, two of the girls who I worked really close with ended up playing at the Spectre Centre on both the glass courts on either end of the facility yeah. at the same time. And they both won their matches at the same time and kind of like we all serenaded in the middle. It was, it was really amazing kind of proud moment. And, uh, and yeah, it's just, like I said, the dust has settled on that season now. Sure. Amazing to reflect on how far we've come from Huddersfield to now. It's, it's uh, something I'm very proud of and uh, something that I've, I've, it's been nice to reflect on as we mm. look forward now, you know, into a new chapter. Mate, well, rightly so. And thanks for taking us through that 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 journey. It is incredible. And if you don't mind me asking, I'm sure you're okay saying this. How old are you? 
I am uh, 33. <laughs> nice. And 33, yeah. that is young, dude. Like, yeah. like just considering, you know, yes, obviously you got into coaching quite young, obviously playing PSA, but incredible, you know, CV track record so far, you know, seeing the amount of players you're producing and and, and the quality of the humans that are also coming out of, of your facility is not just about great squash players, I don't think. And I think you might hopefully agree. It's actually, are, are these are these good people? Are they good humans as well? I think when you get that balance right, that, that's such a such a sweet spot, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's it's squash. I mean, teaching in general, right? Never mind squash, but teach it being a teacher and is so rewarding, right? Whether you're teaching them, you know, four and drop shot and watching their smile when it, you know, is the right that or when you're rolling the ball and Nick and they've been trying a million times and the smile, mm-hmm. or whatever, it's so rewarding. But also even just like character building, right? When when you need to put your arm around them and and you know give them some tough tough love or or whether you need to you know pull them into line, it's like mm. such a rewarding job. And I probably I, I actually forgot to mention that. Yeah, I, I mean I'm 33 now, being in the states. I'll be going to the states into my 15th year in in February. Mm. Um, and but when I was 21, I moved to Paraguay um to coach the national team down there for the Pan American Games, and now that was you know an out of you know comfort zone experience. Yeah. Going to a third world country, it was 40 degrees C, and my pale pale white skin <laughs> with blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, but that was you know for me, my coaching career was a really pivotal moment too because you know I had to step up basically um we had a goal to win a medal in in the in the doubles event so there's a lot of research that i went into delved into into you know doubles and the mindsets and and tactics that come involved in that and we we mm-hmm. trained so hard um paraguay never won a medal um in any event in the panam Pan Am games and then uh we took the first one home the bronze medal for squash and it was it was a, a wow. unbelievable feeling and from that moment I mean, I, I I was so like in it, and it was an emotional like Olympic moment that just kind of mm. springboarded my career. And I was like, I want that feeling, and I want my players that I ever come across to have those feelings of success. And and to do it, you've got to embody so many different aspects of the game, and that it includes your character on and off the court, um, obviously your skill and your you know your 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 commitment to the sport, but mainly as well your passion. Yeah, totally. Wow, that's really cool. And when you were 21 doing this, did you have to learn a new language? How did you communicate? So funnily enough, in my GCSEs in high school, I got an A in Spanish, but a C in English. <laughs> so, so I don't know if that was to do with the Yorkshire accent or the, the fact that the, maybe the Spanish test was easier. I don't know. Um, but I yeah, I had a basic understanding of Spanish. Uh, when I was down there, a lot of people obviously didn't speak English. Uh, the team actually spoke English, and so did the the fitness coach and stuff. So okay. I was I tried to get them to speak to me in Spanish, or they just did it naturally, and then they would tell me what it meant if I didn't understand. Mm. Uh, so I was listening to it all the time, and now I actually have a fairly strong understanding of Spanish. I haven't practiced speak speaking in a while, but um, um, one of my assistants is from Mexico. He speaks to me in Spanish, or he'll show me something in Spanish, and I'll understand it. Uh, but then I'll reply in my Yorkshire American. <laughs> That's so cool, man. And 21, that is so young to go and, you know, train, you know, a national team and the adults and, you know, get yourself on the medal podium. And uh, how did that even come about? Um, so when I, when I was at Round to, like I said, I had those months off where I'd go and travel and play tournaments. And mm. the majority of the tournaments happened to be in South America at that time. So I was doing like six, seven, eight week tours down there each each year doing Paraguay, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Peru, like all these kind of places. And uh, one of the trips was um, I met Esteban Casarino in Goiânia, 
Brazil. Um, amazing place in the middle of nowhere. Uh, this at a squash court, a glass court in the shopping center kind of tournament is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like what an experience it was. But I remember we played in the in the tournament. We had a really good battle on court. I think he he ended up coming out on top. And uh, after the match, we just sat and we were just talking. Um, he was asking about me and you know my 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 goals with squash. Like and I was saying, look, I don't really have many goals as a player really. Uh, because I know that I'm not going to be the best because I can't. I, I don't train year-round. I'm, I'm working as a coach. Mm-hmm. I'm more invested in the sport and the future of myself as a coach, uh, but I'm loving like getting these experiences as a player. And and I think he really like tapped into that. And after that trip, I think I maybe played three or four different tournaments. One of them was happened to be in Paraguay, and I got to meet all the, the people there. And they were so welcoming to me. And again, I was not dialed into the squash as, as much yeah. as the other players was. So if there was an opportunity to go for a beer with some of the locals, I might have gone, you know, while mm. I was there and getting to know everybody and, and just to, you know, get to get to meet people and, and all the rest of it. So they they just responded to me and I responded to them. And I shortly after that trip he, he called me and said, look, I've got an opportunity. Uh the Pan American Games is in is in October. This was like in I think it was in February at the time. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And he's like, would you like to come and, and train us and be the trainer and, and, you know, help us with some other stuff in, in the country? And I was like, absolutely. And Wicked. managed to get someone to cover my job in this, move down there and didn't look back, really. That's incredible. And and was it like after the Pan Am Games, did that whole project finish and then you're back in the States? Yeah, straight back. It's like, I think the Pan Am Games was a two week trip, uh, opening ceremony. Then you're followed up by the, the I think it was the singles for, uh, maybe it was the, no, it was the doubles first then the singles, then the team event, and then closing ceremony, and then back in America. Done. Job done. Mate, go there, get the medal, get the hardware, and then you're, back, you're out, dude. That's yeah, what I'm you out. need. Hey, eh? guys. <laughs> I um, love that. What yeah, a story. I, I, I'm not into, I, I, I'm trying to think earlier. I think I've been, I went back in 2013, but then I've not back, been back since. And mm-hmm. it was such a big part of my life was was Paraguay and, 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 and the people there. And I keep in touch with a lot of them all the time. A lot of, I've got a lot of friends from Argentina and stuff that I keep in touch with. And I think I was in Chicago last week. I met Leandro Romiglio, mm. who I was good friends with. I don't think I saw him in ten years. But yeah. we, it's like you we pick up, pick up like that. Met, mm. Yeah, mm. You're like we never, never lost touch. So you know, it's a big part of my life, and I learned so much by traveling there first and foremost, and and meeting the people and different cultures. But the squash itself really made me uh, open my eyes to, you know, where where I could try and be and and take my career, and and mm. and here we are today. No, you grabbed it with both hands and, and, you know, run with it and, you know, creating these, you know, amazing things that side of the pond, which is brilliant. But just before we get in, maybe into some of the weeds around the mindset, um, you, you shared with me before we uh, started recording that you were pursuing a pro football career. So can you talk to us about that and how did that overlap or not overlap with your squash? Yeah. So growing up, um, I, I, apps, I mean, to the day, to this day, I absolutely love football. I'm, I'm, I live and breathe it as much as I do squash almost. I, I watch as uh, as many games as possible in in the Premier League. My team's Huddersfield Town, so we used to be in the Premier League, <laughs> but now we're struggling. Um, but I'm I'm an avid fan. Um, but yeah, growing up, football was all I knew. Um, ever since I kind of probably like four or five years old. I think at seven years old, I was signed up to Bradford City, uh, youth team, and I was playing against Manchester United and all these teams from such a young age. And then mm. I went from Bradford to Huddersfield to Leeds to Bolton Wanderers and. That was it. I think all my friends at school kind of, you know, felt maybe that I, w- I would take a career in football and that was it. And and that was my goal. Um, but then I think I was about 16 years old when I got injured 
um, and kind of I'd been playing squash a little bit, spending basically most of my afternoons at, at either a football training or a soccer uh, or a squash club. And then, yeah, I kind of took a step back from football a little bit and just dialed into squash. I was playing okay. all the time. Get me home from school at 3.30. I was up at the squash club till 9, 10 o'clock at night. Anyone who wants a hit, I'm ready. Uh, just sitting at the bar, talking to people, sit, just being part of the club. And it just really, just really from there, just grew and grew and grew into squash and mm. kind of put football to one side. I, I ended up playing semi-professional a little bit um like on the side because it was like twice a week training and then weekend matches mm -hmm. and you know I just, I just kind of kept it going but then when I moved to America um there was just no more football for me really and that was it yeah. and I, I wasn't too disheartened I, I tried to play five aside <laughs> over over in the states but I just got kicked too much and I was like <laughs> I'm, I'm just not I just don't know if I'm I'm, I'm about I'm all about it anymore Fair enough. Well, maybe you just weren't skillful enough to avoid those kicks. Luke, I'll put that out there. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, pre I'm pretty quick, but yeah, they, they managed to get me quite a lot. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe the, 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 yeah, that's out of the pond. I haven't quite figured out the subtleties of, of, of the British football, but Hey, if you're playing up in, in, in the, in the North on a grim Tuesday night, I'm sure you can get kicked out, kicked around quite a bit up there as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We're, we're, I guess we're hard nosed as Yorkshiremen, but exactly. as friends would say over here, I'm uh, I'm soft as anything. So <laughs> love it. Okay, but um, I'm curious to know a little bit more about your coaching philosophy. You know, you're obviously doing some something great. You know, things are happening for you. Things are going well, not just by, like I said, the results, but by, you know, also some of the people you're producing. So, you know, you probably reflected on this. It probably is always evolving and changing. But what is the fabric of your philosophy? What is it based on? Um, so I, I love this question because I don't really, I wouldn't say I have like one ideology of the game i mm -hmm. think that some people kind of say it's you know you want to play squash this way um i'm definitely not that way i i look at who i have in front of me whether it be a kid an adult i mean predominantly now i'm working with juniors right so let's talk about those but i like to um uh, work with what i see in front of me so i like some kids are shy some kids are full of energy and some kids are hyperactive some kids are aggressive and mm -hmm. it's like, how do you learn what makes them tick emotionally um, to help them kind of say, like, for example, you know, a kid who likes to be a cheeky chappy and they're smiling and laughing, and want, you know, and be, almost be the class clown on the court. I like to try and make them laugh, right, and make them see that I'm a fun guy too so that mm -hmm. when I'm saying, okay, we can have our fun, but then we've also got to do the ghosting and the sprints because that's part of the squash. They'll do it. Yeah. Whereas if they're being a cheeky chappy and I'm telling them off all the time, as soon as I send them to the sprints, absolutely not. Mm, I, see. About, I feel like squash and squash coaching is about coaching personalities. Mm -hmm. um, it's understanding that some kids need tough love. They need that strong word. Some kids need their arm around them and, and you know, need, need that care and attention to kind of breed them, breed some confidence in themselves. And I think that, as squash is, as as we've, you know, I was fortunate enough to go to the World Championships last week and I watched so many matches in one day. I didn't see one person with the exact same grip, the exact same swing, the exact same style. It just doesn't mm. work. Mm. Um, I think you you build your, you have a, a style-ish that you want to follow. Um, like I know the way I want the game to be played. I like to see squash played with lots of variation. I like to see different areas of the court being used at different times. And, you know, I, I always talk to the kids about squash is like a, a song. Sometimes it's upbeat 
and you know you're, you're you're kind of bobbing along but then sometimes there's some some like downbeats and you know you're, you're lifting the ball and, and it's kind of smoother and slower but then it can be electric again and talk to them about how that breaks up rhythm and on all the rest of it and again that brings in personality because some kids mm. they want that hyperactive electric energy all the time whereas sometimes squash is a marathon not a sprint mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. to them about that the breathing techniques it's like you know you can't you can't sprint a marathon um, even as a when you're when you're breathing, you have got to breathe your way through it. Sometimes, yeah, you'll be out of breath because you want to pick up the pace, and you've got to understand that you can might do that for five or six rallies, but you can't do that for twenty rallies, and because you're not fit enough or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my my philosophy is is to understand the personality of the player uh, from an early age or from from as soon as I can, when I, when I meet that person, I, you know, if it, if it's someone new that comes to the program, you know, I'll try and kind of gauge their energy, their passion. What, what do they, what do they see for the future and then work with that. And mm. then even, even down to techniques, um, there's certain things that you can't, you know, um, can't just, you know, forget, like for example, a bad grip, yep. right? You, you need, you need to have a decent grip. And I, and I say decent because sometimes you can have a slightly flat grip, but work with it. Like one of my best players, Nick Spaziri is backhand. He's, he's quite flat, but he knows how to bring the edge through the ball. Interesting, right? yeah, yeah. It's very open. So mm. like you can work with that. Um, but like, yeah, you, you, I, I feel like some people, again, they'll say you have to hold the racket like this, but some people's hands are different. Yeah doesn't quite fit the grip or whatever it may be some people have small hands big hands whatever it may be, strong hands all the rest of it and i feel like i i find ways to make the racket work the way i would like it to work love that game and i feel that comes through you know experience of again watching so much squash mm. i've been going to these tournaments as a player i'm not just like in the hotel you know, I'm out there. I'm watching all the other matches. I'm I'm meeting people. I'm helping coach between games, friends, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And over the years and years and years of doing that, I feel like I'm able to adapt, or I try to adapt uh, the best I can to each individual that I coach. Powerful stuff, man. Powerful stuff. And you know, yeah, looking at you know the evolution of coaching philosophy. You know, maybe the kind of classic '80s, '90s. Maybe football comes into here. It's like this is the coach they know everything and all of you people around here you've got to fit into my philosophy right so get on board or you ship out obviously now it's beautiful it feels very different you know it feels like actually coaching philosophy is what you're saying is more about being athlete centered understanding the yeah the ebbs and flows of 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 different characters and that just reminds me of um the nick matthew story with david pearson because obviously nick had a bit of a strange little bit on his front backhand with his wrist and his position and i think dave was hammering at Nick for months and months, even years to fix it. Eventually, I think almost Dave, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, if you know the story, but Dave like threw his hands up and was like, I forget it, I can't do it anymore. But what they did is they actually made that shot really unique to Nick. We'd get under and he'd do that like, you know, shovel lob kind of thing. We'd get under and lift it over. And it became such a weapon. It became a real weapon for something that the traditional side would not have been as much of a weapon, but they work with it. Um, you, you Are you familiar with that story and that idea? No, I, I am because... Um, you know, Nick and I have become really close. Um, over, I would say over the last three, four years, especially. Um, and we've we've we work together. We do like summer camps together. We we talk a lot on the phone about our players and and ideas and and stuff. And obviously, he it's funny because he's a three time world champion squash player, but now he's transitioned to a coach. I'm just Joe Bloggs from Huddersfield who has been coaching since. 
you know, 20, I mean, I was winning medals at 21 and I've been invested in coaching. So mm. we kind of like mentored each other on different experiences. Right. That's so cool. And I think the first year that we did the camp together, um, and I think he would admit this. I think he, he wasn't as a coach. He was still a player coach. Yeah. Whereas the following year he came and he was a coach. It was amazing mm. to see how, like he, how he would, if a drill didn't work, he would change it like that without nice. even thinking about it. He would find a way to make the same, you know, what we want to try and achieve work. And I think that again, having the ability to be, to adapt, to think on your feet as a coach is really important to keep players engaged, but also to find those little ways to make it work. Cause again, if you do have that kid who's, you know, maybe a little shy and you're doing a free person drill with two people they've never met, it's, it's not going to work unless you find a way to kind of like break the ice a little bit before they get on there or you maybe mm. throw something different in, in, in or here then everywhere. You're kind of working with it. And to see Nick um, go from, you know, that straight out of his career, an amazing career, that so much respect for into the coaching world to give back and then for him to kind of develop so quickly as well into a coach because coaching and playing is, is entirely different. When you're playing, you're out there for yourself. When you're coaching, yeah. you're you're out there for other people, mm. um, and and yeah, we have a really good relationship. So we've talked about all these these little things, and I think also I was going to touch on with the uh, the philosophy of of my coaching. It's also I would say the philosophy of my program. And by the way, the word philosophy uh, wasn't quite in my English Huddersfield <laughs> dictionary uh, not so long since, but um, more, more so much like the environment. Uh, I think that squash is such an amazing sport, right? You you meet so many people from all over the world and squash is hard. Uh, it's not an easy game to play. It's really hard. You have to be, you have to commit a lot of time to so many things other than hitting the ball. You have to commit so much time to solo practice and all the rest of it, watching squash. And to be really good, you've got to be invested in so many different things. So I feel like the success of the program or the programs, because I have the school program as well as the, the LB squash program, has come down to just creating an environment that helps you be more passionate about squash. And it's a positive environment. Um, you can fail and no one's going to be, you know, no one's going to be you know, kicking your butt. It's more like, OK, you know, how can you respond from yep. failing? How can you move forward? Have you been successful? That's amazing. Like, you know, he, you know, let's. Let's celebrate that. And and I feel like the over the years, the the environment that we've built of just positive reinforcement and and togetherness and then the passion for the sport um has helped um not only my coaching of players, but like when you come down here now and you see the kids all laughing and joking on the outside of the court, when they're in the court, they're playing, they're working hard because they know mm. it's they know the difference between being on court and training and coming out court and just being like, Let's let's have some fun. This is this is where we like to be. And nice. uh, I think that's so important for for any club to be successful you want to make it a place where people want to be mm, no well really really well said and and yeah i love what you're talking about there because big thing that 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 i believe i i talk about the spillover effect which you know if you can handle conflict and setbacks and you know difficulties in the squash court and you're doing it in a healthy way that even if you're not getting the result you're you're responding correctly how that spills over into other parts of your life then equally so how then are you dealing with exam stress or difficult relationships or parents that are on your back? And then are you handling that healthily and then transferring it into the arena of the squash court? I love the, those two arrows that are pointing kind of, you know, in and out of the squash courts. And yeah, it sounds like you're really fostering that environment, which is, which is amazing. 
yeah i mean it's you 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 hit the nail on the head i mean i i i i'm based in a school so i've got a school program and i've got the kids who are coming in and in the states they blow me away with the the, the how much they're dedicated to the studies yeah. it's entirely different to to the uk and how i was growing up right um so like they have to they're they're so almost sometimes over scheduled right they've got so much going on they they, they they're at school from 7 45 to three o'clock and then they're doing their their sports class and then they come to squash and they're doing a, a squash lesson and then they're going to piano and then they've got a tutor and then but before they've had dinner they're, they're you know they it's eight o'clock at night and then they're, they're doing studying before they go to sleep so it's it's understanding that everything that these guys do is with whether it's your your you've got to find time to study you got to f- time find time to train, but then you've also got to find time to have a social life and have mm-hmm. that breakaway because you've got to find balance with everything, right? In life, um, and I feel like if you're so dialed in on one of those three things, then the other two will fail. So if you're mm-hmm. all dialed in on your studies, then your squash and your social life are gonna get hurt. If you're so dialed in on your squash, then your studies and your social for example. And I think that finding balance and being able to time manage is important as a, as a kid. Uh, sometimes, again, you get overscheduled. It's, it's okay to um, have a voice mm-hmm. and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, hey, Mr. So-and-so at school, I feel like everything's getting on top of me because I don't have the time. Um, hey, coach, like, you know, you've asked me to do, like, ghosting and solo and this, that, the other, but i got no time. How can I schedule it in? And I think, like, ha- have teaching kids to have ownership from an earlier age. I think in England, it's a bit easier. I would say when I was growing up, I felt like I was, you know, when I was 15 or 16 years old, I flew all the way to Colombia to play a squash tournament. Wow. Right? I think <laughs> over here, it's more like you're, you're streamlining your, your, this is what you're doing until you go to college. And then yep. that's your first time that you're kind of on your own. So it's like my, my ideas of, for the kids is to have ownership over their schedules over what they want to do right um because again like if 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 you're getting told to go to a squash club and you don't want to be at the squash club then maybe squash is not for you like what is for you and i think Mm. um you come across so many different again personalities um you see a kid sat there absolutely loving life yeah let's roll with it see a kid who's not okay what's going on and then i've had i've had the moments where you know, you, you come and do a lesson or you're doing a clinic and there's just one kid just sat in the corner, doesn't mm. want to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, do you leave them? No, you don't. You go and talk to them. What do you like? Oh, well, I like mm. reading. Also, have you read this book? Blah, blah, blah. All right, well, you know, on the squash court, you know what we call reading? And they're like, no. It's like, well, because you know where the shots are going to go because you're yeah, reading yeah. the game. You're making like, connections wow. with us. Yeah, all these yeah, connections. And then all of it. a sudden, the, then they come out and they went, I just read that he played a drop shot. <laughs> I already moved and got it. And then you're opening their eyes that way to that. All different things can relate to squash. Mm. Um, and and that, again, the beauty of the game, and I, and I, I kind of get carried away because I'm just so passionate. I'm, I am the uh, I am a big squash geek. Um, but that, there's just so many w- things that you can relate to squash that help with life. Yeah. Um, and uh, the kids that get to play it and, and like us, we're fortunate to be in it, right? 100%. And there's one other thing I want to pick up there. And, and again, bringing some beautiful connections and anyone listening, I hope that's kind of sparking some ideas off in their head. If they, you know, if they are in charge of young people and young people's minds, this is, this is really cool. Um, But something you said there, communication, like how, how big is that? The communication from the coach to the player, the player to the coach, and actually being a coach good enough to 
open those channels of communication where the kids feel they can speak up or they could tag things and they go, Hey, listen, I'm really struggling with this. You know, sometimes when the, when the approach is so dogmatic, the lines of communication aren't there, are they? So, you know, it sounds like communication is a huge thing for you and your program as well. It's huge. Yeah. Mm. Communication is huge. I mean, I, I have, um, taught the kids sarcasm. <laughs> um, I've got to taught them, you know, so sometimes I'll be joking around saying, Oh, well, you know, cause in this pattern of play, Obviously, for me, I would hit the ball tighter than tight, right? Because because mm-hmm. it's me. I, I you know my drop shots are shorter than short. You know <laughs> my nicks just roll, you know, flat or whatever. You know mm-hmm. the, the the kids embrace the sarcasm, but from and again that kind of creates more of a relaxed, fun environment. But then you flip it, and I, I'm I, with my communication when I'm talking in groups. It's having that open environment to put your hand up and say something, and it might not be the right answer, but as a group, we get to the end goal and everybody understands what's going on. And then, you know, I think from an individual piece, again, you, you're talking to the personalities. If you've got a kid who's like that cheeky chappy, you might be making them laugh at the start, but then, right, let's get engaged now. Now it's time to like, let's, let's log in. Mm-hmm. Or if you've got the kid who's shy, then you might be, you know, asking them about their day first before you get saying, right, can we, can we do some drop shots now? Um, but then it's, there's so many different ways to communicate. Um, I think a good communicator is someone who first and foremost cares about who they're talking to or who they're communicating with. Um, and communication doesn't always come with words. You know, mm. I find, you know, it comes with your actions. How do you look? Do you look angry? You know, sometimes a little stare down can be like, I mean, business get on court. Uh, mm. But sometimes a, a general smile just softens everything. When they walk in, they might have had a bad day, but they see your smile. All of a sudden, they know this is a fun place to be. Nice. Um, so communication skills is is important for environment, but also to foster learning what you want to, right, in the right direction. Perfect. Lovely. Really, really well said. Um, so going to slightly, not change tracks here, but going to go into a little bit of a, a deeper topic. Listen, this is probably a whole podcast in itself, but let's try and address this one. So advice for parents of young, talented athletes. What, what's your thoughts when I say that? <laughs> uh, um, so it's, it's a good one. <clears throat> it's a good one because... Um, a lot of, I, I'm expecting my first child this summer and a lot of people, Congratulations! Lot, thank you. A lot of people have said, you're going to, you're going to find out, you're going to find out how it's, it's so hard to not watch, to, to watch your kid or whatever. Um, but I feel like, um, I'll talk about the way it is in America. Cause that's, you know, yep. I live in breathe Cause when I was growing up, my, my parents would drop me at the squash club after school. I'd be there till night. I'd probably mm-hmm. have a, jam sandwich for dinner mm-hmm. like you know that yep, was it same. <laughs> yep. um but and so so my my upbringing was different in terms of you know i had to i had to string as many rackets as i could in a week to uh, take a squash lesson and take the bus to the squash courts or whatever it may be whereas here especially in greenwich connecticut where you know a lot of the kids are very fortunate that they've got generous parents who will provide opportunities for them um and then for me it's about managing how much they maximize those opportunities right rather than taking them for granted mm-hmm. um now from a parent point of view some parents are very hands-on some parents struggle to let go um and what i've created here is that i try and create a non-parent policy when there's groups when there's one-to-one lessons for 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 the most part i'm pretty relaxed where they can come and watch the start and you know maybe leave and come back and watch the end some people like to just sit and watch and that's fine but i feel like 
um, all parents, if I can give some advice to parents is that over the years, I've seen when your kid's not there, a different personality than when you are there. And I think that's important for parents to understand is that sometimes your kid, without you knowing, is always looking over their shoulder. They might want to say something funny to their friend or they might want to laugh when their friend makes a mistake or someone says something funny or whatever. And that's okay because mm -hmm. they're expressing their personality. And like I said at the start, I'm coaching the personality. But if I can't see the personality, then I'm not going to be able to do my job to its fullest. Or as a team, we're not going to be able to do our job as the, to its fullest. So it's important that, and, and I think it's important that a parent chooses a program or a coaching team or a coach that they trust can take the right direction and, and has the values that they want. Mm -hmm. um, but then they've also then got to trust that it's been handled um and i think that again might take time which is fine because mm -hmm. in, in trusting relationship you got you don't really have 100% trust when you first meet someone right you you you, you build through connections and and just being you know experiences um but i feel that the best form, but the best coach player relationships that i've seen and that i personally had have been the ones where the parents have taken a step back provided opportunity been there as part of the support system doesn't mm -hmm. mean that they're not part of the team. They are definitely part of the team, but they're allowing their, their child to fail, first and foremost. They're allowing them to misbehave or to express personality uh, positively or negatively, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's all teachable. But then they're just allowing them to have ownership over their own success. And that's the biggest thing. I think some of the some of the times I've seen a little bit too much like hands-on, overbearing parents of good players They've just grown not to love the game. That when it comes to pushing in a nine or on the fifth, who are they pushing for? You know what I mean? Are they are they really gonna push for themselves when they don't want to do it? Or are they, mm. are they gonna push for you when you're being on top of them? And if they lose, you know, it's just not that fun. Whereas I feel like the kids who own it and take it on are the ones that fire through for that win at the end because they love it. Mm. Because I, they want to be. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. done intrinsically from their own internals that that's such a yeah. sweet spot to find isn't it? It, it it it's so it's so sweet and it's it's so awesome to see and now going to those parent conversations for any coach and and uh, is that goes through these it's not an easy conversation to say can you you know is it okay if you step outside and and and, and not watch this lesson because i want them to kind of you know express themselves a bit further or mm. whatever it be 
Um, it's not an easy conversation, but if you're doing it from the right, you know, you're not just doing it just to get them out so you can mess around. Obviously, that's not what we're doing. You want them to not be there so that the kid does express themselves. It's all about the kid at the end of the day or the junior, the whatever it may be. It's all about them being able to express themselves exactly the way that they want to. Um, because, again, there's no teachable moment if the kid stood there like this and they're looking over the shoulder, you know, tense and looking over the shoulder, just checking if mom saw that bad shot or dad mm. saw me, you know, hit the tin again, you know, then they're never really going to find a way to be comfortable. Whereas, you know, if they, how many times do we hit the tin in our life in squash? A lot, right? We're not going to hit perfect shots all the time. Um, but it's about, okay, well, you know, when you hit that tin, the coach goes in, they'll give you some advice and they'll they maybe make a joke about that tin. Oh, well, you know, what do you expect if you don't move your feet? You know, and, and I actually had a good conversation with one of the coaches the other day uh, in part of my team. He's like, you know, I really wanted to go in and, and, and make a joke about something, but I didn't mm -hmm. feel comfortable enough because the parent was there. Mm, that's I'm interesting. like, never, never feel uncomfortable if you feel it's the right thing to do in coaching. Because Love that. Um, I've had a few experiences where not recently, this is more my earlier days in my career. And again, I'm so passionate that I give everything I've got in the lessons, right? So I'd be doing a one-on-one -on -one lesson and I'm doing, you know, teaching them forehand, let's say. And one of the parents opened the door and he's like, what, what are you doing? And as I said, what do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you so now to hit a drop shot. And uh, he's like, oh, well, you know, we don't want to do drop shots. We want to do uh, drives. What I, I said, uh, excuse me, sir. I said, I, I don't mean to be rude, but uh, you know, what do you what do you do for a living? And he's like, uh, well, I'm a dentist. I said, okay, well, tomorrow I'm going to come to your office and I'm going to pull people's teeth out. How's that? How's that sound? And he's like, love that. He's like, I, said, I, said, I wouldn't come into your office and tell you what to do or do your job. Exactly. So allow me to do my job. That's uh, incredible. How old were you, by the way, when you said that? That's the really I think, I think it was in my early days. I think I was like 21, 22. That's incredible to have uh, that, to have that foresight and the kind of the, the, the mentality to do that. That's a good credit, man. Uh, yeah. Cause it's, it, it, at the end of the day, any good coach, and there's so many good coaches out there. It's not like it. And again, it's not a good coach. doesn't mean that you're winning national titles. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're coaching the world's best squash players. Some of the best coaches that I've met are uh, helping get people into the game, right? Uh, are running urban programs to try and get kids off the streets to play squash. Like I've met so many amazing people that teach squash and, and build great people. Um, so again, it's like the parents, if you want to get your kids into sport, it's finding good people, but mm -hmm. then trusting them to, like to let your your kid grow exactly. and uh, your kid will not grow um without failure without messing around mm -hmm. without having fun without all these experiences that it, it just won't happen organically mm. expressing themselves in in that environment that you're creating and what's uh what did that parent say when you asked them when you said you're gonna go come pull some teeth tomorrow can you remember <laughs> I, I can remember him uh, being a bit, little bit shocked mm. uh i definitely remember being shocked but he, he sat down and 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 then he didn't speak i didn't speak during the lesson then after the lesson i just i i basically laid it out to him i was like look i've traveled the world i mm. left my own country to pursue this career yeah, like I'm fully invested in this. I'm a, I'm a professional squash player. I mean, I'm playing at a decent level. I'm learning. I've just basically, I think I've shortly after the Panamanian Games, I've, I've been coaching <laughs> professionals, but like I'm trying my best for your son. Your yes. son is probably, I think, as a young kid as well, seven years old. Oh, what? Wow. Um, and I'm just like, dude, like, come on. Like, get, mm. like, 
Let's just pull yourself into check here. And it's happened before. I'd, I've had a, you know, six foot seven rugby player parent, you know, legs kicking, arms going, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, mate, if you can't enjoy watching your kid play, just take yourself to the side because yeah. the parents should be there to really enjoy the experience of watching their child play rather than, you know, resting their laurels on a win or a loss. I think, exactly. uh, you know, mm. the squash... And one of the things I said to the kids, um, you know, you're going to play thousands of squash matches, whether it's practice or competition, you're not going to win them all. You can't win every point. Um, but your career can go like that when you, you know, on, on an upward trend, yep. go through the process. And the process sometimes takes a while, um, but it's, it'll, it'll come to fruition for your potential or you might blow out your potential if you allow yourself to go through it. Mm, well done. Well said, man. Well said. And yeah, any hopefully parents listening out there, hopefully that resonates a bit. And uh, yeah, contact Luke Butterworth if you want to want to talk about your job prospects and he's going to turn up at your workplace the next day. <laughs> yeah, I'm not entirely sure you'd want me to pull out your teeth either. <laughs> hey, but listen, you, you're a debt collector for a while, so I'm sure you could kind of, you know, cross-pollinate quite quickly. <laughs> um, so, so flipping it a little bit into a, a little bit more of the mentality now, you know, when you've seen these young players and, and you know, playing right at the cutting edge, what do you think are the biggest mental barriers you see that hold players back? The fear of failure is one. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say that's probably the biggest, maybe. I would yeah. think with juniors. Um, oh, how's it going to look if I lose to this person? Mm. You know, I'm comparison. Comparison for me is a big one, by the way. Like, yeah. you know, I love the statement comparison is the thief of joy. As soon as you're comparing the ratings, the rankings, I should be here and what are these people going to say and what's my college thing going to say? I'm not going to have a job. I'm going to live under a bridge. Whatever, you know what I mean? All of this comparison, comparison, comparison is such a big one, isn't it? Yeah, I, I often I often talk to the kids about, because in, in the States, I mean, I, I quite like the, the way that the US squash has it set up. It's got a club locker system and you can see what your ranking is and rating and all that stuff. And, and that's all well and good. Mm -hmm. But I feel like a lot of the junior, younger, more immature players would look at the rating and say, oh, that person's point two higher than me. I've got no chance. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, and I think that what I try and foster into the kids is that I talk to them about, you know, what's the, what is the biggest restriction in squash? And they're like, uh, the 10. I'm like, no. They're like, um, the referee. I'm like, no. It's like, it's your opponent. Your opponent is the biggest restriction in squash. I said, so mm -hmm. what's your opponent's biggest restriction? It's you. Mm -hmm. right? So you have ownership over what you can and can't do with the ball. And you've got ownership of what you can try and do to stop your opponent from, you know, being aggressive or, you know, attacking you or whatever it may be. And I talk to the kids a lot about having the, the underdog mentality versus overdog. They love it when I say overdog because <laughs> it's not a word. Um, <laughs> But I, I often talk to them about like, okay, well, if you're in a 32-player tournament and you're the 32 seed, so you're playing the first seed first round, are you just going to walk on court and lose? No, right? You're going to try and step on that court to see how long it takes you to break them down. How do you break them down? What's your so shot selection like? What's your tactics like? What's your approach like? What's your body language like? All these small details will hopefully get you into that successful position, mm -hmm. right? And we'll talk about all those approaches, and then we'll flip it. Okay, you're the number one, playing the number 32. Okay, now, what's what's the big boo-boo here? What's what's the big thing? And they're like, well, you could lose. 
I'm like, yeah, you could lose. Why could you lose? Because you're competing. You're playing. Every time you step on the court, you can win and you can lose. In squash, mm. you cannot draw, right? There's a winner and there's a loser. So, yes, you can win, but who has the ownership over winning and losing? It's yourself, right? If you lose, you just weren't good enough on the day. If you win, you did enough or you were better than that player on the day. Mm-hmm. And it's getting them to understand that every time you step on court, it doesn't matter who you're playing, it's a match that you have control over to a certain extent. And that mm-hmm. is how you can approach it. Obviously, there are some better players who are more skillful who are more accurate or they're whatever it may be, right? But you're still on there competing. Um, and I try and to, I always try and rid the uh, the fear of failure from players by talking about competition and about how you're just competing. Yeah. This, this one match doesn't define your career. Exactly. Right? It, it, your career defines you. Um, I, I can give you a good example. Um, so Caroline Fouts is is um, one of the players that I've worked with for a long time, and she recently won the um, under nineteen national championships for the second year running. So last mm. year she won it as a sixteen year old. Wow. Year she won it as a seventeen year old. Now you'd laugh, but sh- the first round of the tournament, she's the most nervous person ever. Really. I'm like you, you know, any from the outside looking in, you're like she's gonna win within 20 minutes. Yeah. Whereas in her mind, she's like has that fear of failure. So I always have this little technique where I'll just go up to them and like almost have my you know pinch them on the temple and just pull out that negativity. <laughs> cool. And I'll, take it and I'll reach to my pocket and I'll just like hold my hand out. I'm like, look, take a bit of this, a little bit of confidence, right? And um, sometimes it works, like little funny quirks like that. It works with certain people. And I remember she played at the World Championships. She's playing this girl from Japan who kept getting everything back. And um, the girl won the first game, like, 11-6. Caroline wasn't settled and all that stuff. And I said, hold on a minute. I'm just going to do this. And I mm-hmm. picked at her temples and pulled Wicked. out nerves and threw them out the window. I said, look, your nerves have gone now. It's fine. Like, don't worry about the match. Just focus on what you can do. And that's, that's awesome. Focus on you. Your nerves have gone now. You just you're just playing to get the game, the game that you love playing. Um, and she went out there and won the match. And I think um, I think understanding that you have self, if you have self control, you have the ability to, or the coach maybe can help you get out of those situations. It'd be better if you could do it on your own, right? Um, because a lot of the time growing up for me especially and for probably for yourself and a lot of people that we know, we didn't have a coach in our corner. We had to figure it out. When you went on the world tour and you traveled all the world, you didn't have a coach in your corner. You probably maybe had a friend if they were there. Yeah. You had to figure it out in the moment. And I think that uh, teaching these kids little techniques, like um, another a good example, actually. So with the school team, uh, it's a little bit of a different pressure, mm-hmm. right? Because you're going on the court you have to win one of those out of seven matches. We need four victories to win the match or win the national title or whatever it may be. Sometimes you're holding the weight of pressure that you're playing a much <clears throat> a much uh, lower-ranked player from a different school because it kind of works out that way. They've brought all their friends from school. They've got banners. They're screaming. They're shouting, whatever. You're supposed to win. You know, you've got your friends out there thinking, we need to, you're, you're the one in that ladder that's supposed to win. Come on, you got to win. So with the girls, I actually get them to wear um, a hair tie around the wrist. And if they're ever feeling a little tense, I'll get them to pull it back and snap the wrist. And it just snaps them out of it and thinks, okay, it's all good. Mm-hmm. We move on, we move forward. And and again, rem- it's just a, a snap out of, of the tension to remind exactly. them that they have control. 
Mm. have control if they take a deep breath and they can take a step and think okay yeah i'm good i, I can i can play this that will be fine this this year actually in the national championship final uh for the school team is a really intense match against a team from philadelphia called baldwin is it super cool at the spectre center so many people watching and one of our girls she was um she was two love up cruising taking us to the title we're all uh, happy. We're all getting ready outside the courts, you know, jump up and down, screaming. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves at two all. Wow. Right? Still okay. freaking out. Everyone's on edge at this point. Could be going to a deciding match. It was We were currently we were free two, free two up at the time. You know, we we're almost cruising to victory. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves at two all. And I remember saying to her between games, I didn't say anything tactical. I just said, do you enjoy playing squash? That's said, wicked. Yeah. I said, do you love playing squash? She said, yeah. I said, okay, so take a deep breath, close your eyes, because all you need to do is go out there and enjoy playing one game, and I guarantee if you enjoy it, you're going to win. Wicked. She's like, she's like, okay. And she, she was completely relaxed. She forgot the moment. She forgot all the pressure, stepped on the court, and she won the fifth game, and she was, like, elated, right? Wow. Love it. And it had, that had nothing to do with tactics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, At that point, it transcends tactics. It's it's all about, you know, you, we paint our world with our thoughts, don't we? You know, I'm a big believer in that. And what are your thoughts in that moment? And, you know, you finding the fun element, the, the, the intrinsic motivation. I always keep coming back to that. Are you having fun? Like, let's, you know, the big thing I talk about, you know, a lot of people say, well, I have to play squash or I have to win this match. I'm like, no, have is not the right word because have, you have to take oxygen and you have to have a certain amount of water to survive. That's that you get to play squash. You get to experience this. And when you can reframe that, I think that's a real powerful thing. Have is such a, you know, damaging word, I think, when it comes to sports psychology in regards to this. Well, I, I need to. Mm. I need to win this. Mm. Like, why do you need to? Is that your life depend on it? Exactly. Like you don't need to win like you would like to win. Like I would love to watch you win this match. Like, let's go. Let's give it everything you've got to win. Because when you come out, you'll feel great. Yeah. Right. Whereas if you if you need to win, you're already putting tension on yourself to go out there and win. Whereas it's like we, you know, the squash is hard enough. You know, you got to play. You're playing against an opponent who's generally good at squash. You know, you're out there, you're playing, and and it's about what you the you can limit the amount of people you're playing against. Keep it at one, right? Don't play against your demons in your mind. That's two. You know, all the pressure you're putting on yourself, that's mm -hmm. three. Your parents, that's four. The referee, that's five. All of a sudden, you're playing five against one. Yeah, no chance. And so it's all about the approach and, and thinking about those those little things to pre-match being relaxed and motivated, during match being composed, and after the match, reflecting on the how, how enjoyable it was, whether you won or you lost. Mm. And with that as well, like, you know, I'm sure you do it, but <clears throat> getting the players to kind of zoom out and take a step back, go, yeah, like, like that might've been the greatest victory you've ever had. It might've been the worst loss you ever had. Okay, let's just take a step back. How many billions of people in the world don't even know what squash is? Let's start with that, right? And then how many people are so concerned about your match? And all of a sudden, when you can rationalize those thoughts, and it's not to devalue the thing, but it's just to take the temperature down a couple of notches, isn't it? And yeah, it's so valuable. I, I actually have a... On my Instagram, I, I, I uh, a while ago, I made a Monday motivation where I was like, you know, fist pump of one of our players winning and then I put a little quote with it. And I actually did one this past week and uh, just reminded me, it's like, so Monday motivation for the for the team was like, it's a reminder to look far how you have come so far with your game and to set your sights on how much there is to look forward to going forward, right? Because yes, everyone, whether you've 
whether you've hit the ball bouncing on the racket when you were six or whether you're picking up a national title and you're going on to play pro, it's like you've always come from somewhere with the sport. Yeah. And it's always amazing to reflect because, again, it might not be the titles that you've won or the, you know, whatever. It might be the people you've met and the friends that you, you might look to your left and your right. All my friends are from squash, hmm. right? And, and that's unique. And, again, it's like what I like to see within the program and the players that I come across is expressing like how good this sport is away from competition. Yeah. But then how rewarding it is when you go out there and play. Mm. I think when you, they, they, like I said, that, that spillover, they both point to each other, isn't it? And, you know, you hear, you know, what is success? I think, you know, you know, I'm getting older and, you know, you're still a long way from where I'm at, but like success, is it defined by that, that bright metal shiny thing that's sitting on the mantelpiece, the trophy? you know, yeah, that's a tiny part of it, but isn't success, like you said, the things around it, the relationships you've created, the ability to get over hardships, the ability to actually expose yourself to this environment and actually test yourself to the fullest. You know, when we start looking at success, it, you know, and you hear from all the top athletes, they don't remember kind of like, you know, the 10 seconds on the podium. They remember the stories in the bus with their mates and they remember doing this with the coaches and all that. And I think it's important to remind ourselves what success is actually. Oh, 100%, 100%. I mean, I'm sure we could go. We could do another podcast <laughs> and talk about our memories, like growing up and and traveling the world and and all the rest of it. I mean, it, it it's everything encompassed into one, right? I think um, the you know you if you whether you're reflecting on your journey or whether you're setting your sights on certain goals, um, to achieve your goals, you're gonna start a new journey, which has a lot of little obstacles and and all the rest of it. But it's a process to get there, and I think. We've, we've touched on this a few times, like understanding that, you know, whether it's the parents allowing a player to express themselves in the right way to achieve those or whether it's a player learning how to have ownership to get there. Mm. Um, I think it's, um, you know, we, 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 we can delve into so many different kind of nitty gritty kind of aspects. But the yeah. overall thing is, is, is that squash has so many opportunities that will help you um within the sport like being successful winning titles titles or whatever it may be but also off the court whether it's like you know these kids who are going to college and maybe doing a college interview turn up on time and look presentable <laughs> like mm. just little things right you, you can't turn to a squash court late right mm, yep <laughs> all these things love it so yeah listen luke um, i've got another couple of questions to maybe finish up you've been super kind with your time and i don't want to abuse it too much but let's talk about one more thing for the mind so in your years of you know all the experience you've had as a coach what behaviors separate the good from the great do you think great question what behaviors set the good from the great yeah, is it certain habits, certain little things that they do slightly better? You know, it's a hard question, but um, I always, I always yeah, like asking this one. It is a hard question because um, I feel like there's not one specific thing. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I've seen, like, again, these certain personalities. Uh, let's use Caroline yeah. Fats as an example because um, she – when I first started working with her, despite her being strong physically, she was pretty good um, in her age group ranking. I think she was like top 10 or something like that. And then since we've been working together, we kind of got to that top of the tree and she's now it's like, how do you sustain? But she had a lot of fear of failure, right? Yeah. Um, so looking out of the glass, right? 
you can see tension. You're giving away to your opponent that you're freaking out when you're looking out all the time or your your gestures. So body language, I think, separates good to great, maybe. Mm, nice. Um, the ability to lock in to the concentration on the court, what's happening on the court. Um, are you, have you got control over the ball and your opponent? Have you got control of your own emotions? I think body language is key. Yeah. Um, techniques on the court, like I would use for that is, you know, if you're playing on the glass court, one dot. If you play on the on the, on the normal court, just look into the two dots before you serve. You know, just calm yourself down. It's like, okay, what are you thinking about? I always often talk to the kids, like, what's the f most important shot in squash? The serve. What's mm -hmm. the second most important shot? The return of serve. What's the next one? It's like, let's well, actually, let's keep thinking ahead here, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, yeah, you pick your drive, but what are you going to do next? So you've, have you already thought about what type of drive you're playing within that split second to think about setting up the volley drop? Or, or what, what have you just hit the drive and, hit, and you're waiting instinctively? Um, again, it's like ha the ability to be calm enough and composed enough to have a, that plan in mind and implement it. Mm. Now, the I mean, last night was a great example. Nuran Goha against Hanier in the semifinals of World Championships. The ability in those moments, um, we I think we touched on prior, uh, but I'll touch on it in a mm. second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the game that I created uh, within the program is is the ability to have the composure and the confidence within tense, tense moments on the court to still be able to implement your plan. Um, and psychologically, that's all within, right? But there's definitely an outward emotion to that. And if you can hold it together the best and not give away any weaknesses, um, even when you're tired or you're, you're stressed, because we're all stressed at nine all in the fifth. Mm -hmm. No one's not stressed. Yeah, totally. You know, the no one's not stressed. You're stressed. You're you're nervous. You're 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 in there. The adrenaline's pumping. You're playing, but it's like, how can you stay focused on what you can do? Um, and one of the fun games that I I play with my players is a game that I created called Grind Time, and we play it fifty up style. For those that know what fifty up is, um, but basically it's a game where uh, one player is serving at nine six, and you're playing to eleven. And it's like, uh, you know, you could have multiple levels within your group within reason. Um, and it's about how can you win that game from nine, six up and make sure you win it. But then how can you also win from six, nine or they're serving nine, six to close out the game? How can you come back and win? And what does your, your body language look like? What does your length look like? Um, are you being, are you, what's your element of risk looking like? Are you, you know, if you go for a cross court nick at nine six off that serve return and you clip the tin, they've got four, four game balls, four match balls, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but if the ball's there, sometimes you have to take a risk, right? Um, and it's understanding the different elements of risk. Um, but it's talking about that mindset of understanding that sometimes you've got to dig in, um, in those moments. Sometimes you've got to take a little risk depending on what you, how you are physically, Right, uh, you might have to change your game plan a little bit. You might have to lift the ball or be a bit more boring and try and bore your opponent. Um, but it all encompasses me to feel that to separate the good from the great. I would go down to the ability to stay composed in the tense moments, and I think that would come down to your body language and nice. the, the ability the ability to stay tough. And I've seen some. I've watched the World Junior Finals. I've watched. I watched. Um, some of my top players playing the national finals and just staying locked in 
in tough moments. Because in squash, if you're going to win a big, important match for yourself, whether it be the World Championship final, the National final, a junior club championship, it's not going to be rosy to mm, win. Totally. Uh, there's going to be hard moments. There's going to be times where they're putting you under pressure, where sometimes where you're crushing them or whatever it may be, but you're still going to find obstacles and tough moments. And it's about how the best, best players, the top, top players like Hania last night, how she came, how she was seven free down in the second and lost it or, or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. You know, those, the, those moments where she's able to then mentally regroup and go yep. again. Be, you know, match ball down, game ball down, and Noran go out at the end being 10-7 match ball down and winning the match. And Incredible. Those top players are playing in the moment. They're not focusing on what has happened, what's affecting them or whatever. Their ability to take it one point at a time, play the big points as well as they can. Their, yep. their body language is strong. They're fierce. You know, I can imagine that match last night, an hour and 40 minutes, inside they're struggling. Oh yeah. Even, after, even though after the match, Noran says, "Oh no, physically she's fine." I'm sure <laughs> the time, like, if she was, if if that was the final, and that ended like that, I'm sure she would say, oh, "I'm exhausted." I'm what? broken. Yeah. But the the mindset of her saying and the players at the top to say, "I'm good, no matter yeah. what," and they're, they're still trying to implement the plan. I I think separates the good from the great. Love that. Really, really well said. And yeah, for me, it comes into the into the whole territory of, of mindfulness. I love meditation and mindfulness and presence. And it's it's we can train our mindfulness muscle. We can actually do exercises. Neuroscience says this, and you know, the Eastern philosophies have said this for years. So I love that. Um, so listen, last question here, Luke. You've been involved with US squash for quite a while now, and it's it's on this incredible trajectory. Where can you see the future of US squash in the next few years? Um, great question. I I honestly think uh, it's only a matter of time until U.S. squash reaches the top of the pyramid. Um, I, like I said, I've been fortunate enough to be involved with U.S. squash and Team USA for a while now. So I've, I think I've done like seven seven British Junior Opens, I think. Um, and each year we kind of have a list. We, we usually take like 40, 50, 60, sometimes 60 kids. Hmm. And each year we put what their seed is. You know, where did they finish? Did they succeed over there at seeding or whatever? And each year we're like smashing our seedings, right? Now we're slowly got starting to get a little bit more respect in the seedings. So mm-hmm. some of the kids are getting well seeded and and you know our 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 rate of improvement is maybe like slowing down, but that's due to our meeting our correct exactly. seed. That's a good thing in a way, yeah. Great thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I've I've had a lot of conversations. Now, when when we go to these tournaments, and obviously the British Junior Open is like the world junior championships for every age group, right? Um, the Egyptians for sure are giving us more more respect. Um, I think the the English players used to be feared from from the world and from um, especially from the USA. And, and you know, when I grew up and I was playing a kid in a European tournament for America, it was chop chop. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was nice. Now I'm on to the next round. Whereas now it's like these American kids are so talented and they're so hungry for the game that they're starting to be be the players you you don't want to be on your draw definitely um, and I've, yeah i've had these conversations with some of the coaches from egypt i've got a couple of i had a, some egyptian coaches that have worked with me in the past and and that i stay in touch with and, and they're saying like the the level in in egypt is 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 declining from a from a junior standpoint 
I don't think the numbers are declining and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm this is not to sound disrespectful. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the level is declining. I think that the level in America is increasing. Mm, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. And I, I think, you know, Egypt is always going to be produced. I mean, they produce some amazing juniors. I mean, look at Amina Orfi. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible watching her from like an under 11 winning, losing like two points in the final of the British Open. I think to Anna Hatsing, I think it was. Like just watching her progress and now seeing her like almost beat Hania the other night. And she's played Caroline, you know, I've watched and coached that match closely. And so it's like seeing like the the players that these guys are producing is amazing. But I'm seeing it on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis here mm. in the States and seeing these kids with what they're producing. And now we're actually getting to a level where uh, it was funny where we had a national um, a national coaching um, parent kind of call mm-hmm. um, about the British and World Championships. So we had a lot of parents on the call and, it, and I was kind of like, talking to him about certain things. I was like, we actually need to find ways to get our best players to lose. Okay. I like that. And it's like all our players are only losing to each other in the final of junior tournaments. Right. Mm. And then we go to the, the British junior open and then maybe they lose like, you know, quarterfinals or, or or round of 16 or whatever it may be. How do we keep pushing through and getting all our kids into semis and finals? And to do that, we need to learn. We need to be beaten. And how can we improve? So we've been talking about there's not there's no league league culture in America, right? And in, mm-hmm. in in Europe and UK especially, there's league culture. In Egypt, there's league culture. There's pro tournaments that are easily accessible in Europe and UK for all the you know the young uh, the older juniors kind of breaking exactly. through. There's not much of that in America. So we're now trying to find ways to expose our top juniors and top players to higher level of competition. And that's, again, going to raise that bar higher year on year. And the volume that the U.S. squash are getting is high. And I think that the level of coaching in the U.S. is very high, um, especially with the variation, right? You've got Egyptian coaches, I know. coaches mm. English coaches, American coaches. You've got all, you know, all different spices of life um, teaching squash. And that's only going to help the level with the variation and the styles that are being played at. Um and I just, I really do think that it's only a matter of time until USA are on the top or equal on the, on that podium. I think that it will help the worlds of sport. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, countries like China might get into squash if, if it got into the Olympics, stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and I think it, it would, um, you know, I think squash in America is booming. Um, and hopefully that continues because on a, on an international scale, U.S. squash's goal is to get onto the top of the podium, and we're heading in the right direction. Um, and I, I'm I'm very passionate, despite being an Englishman, I'm very very passionate um, about USA squash and, and Team USA. I uh, I always say to the kids when we do the British Open, I'm like, look, I'm 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 an Englishman, uh, but I'm bleeding red, white, and blue for you guys right now. So. <laughs> Love that. Love uh, that. And it's and it's so unique, but hmm. the the kids during from like I said, next year will be my going into my fifteenth year in the states to see how the level has increased and the volume of players, and but just not so much like how much their level has increased, but their level of passion and interest. That's awesome. Right? Hmm. Came first time, I'd be like, oh, did you watch um Kareem Darwish against Lee Beecher last night in the British Open? And they'd be like, who? <laughs> really, Kareem, Kareem Dawish, the world number one. Right? Uh, no, no idea. 
And wow. then, but now it's like last night you've got the kids who are fully engaged in watching Hanirel, Mami and Nurango. They're talking about Asal being back. They're talking about Kareem Al Gawad coming back from injury. And like that's not just within my program. You know, you, I went to a tournament the other week and they had a projector on the uh, on the wall with the European Championships and all the kids are like watching it. Like that's it, great. And that and that now mm. is not just go and do a lesson of squash and you know get into college. Kids are now slowly saying. I want to be on the tournament of champions glass mm. call. There's role um, models now, isn't there? There's more role, well, not more role models, but there's more interest and passion in those characters and those role models at the top, which is which is such a healthy thing. You know, kids with you know footballers and and, and like baseball players in the wall, great. Of course, that's always going to happen. But obviously now the squash feels like even more, and you've said it really well there. Yeah, and, and look look at the look at the British Open this year. Carlton Capella is a kid mm. who's in our program here. He won the British Open, he's jumping around you know, full of life and energy when he won it. He came back here, it was like a celebration. We're all like absolutely loving loving that. But yeah. all those kids now who are younger, his age, older, they want that. Wicked. They Love want it. that. So good. Um, and it's and they, 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 they understand that. It's not just Carlton, because he wins a lot of tournaments over here, the JCTs, mm -hmm. the national championships. And, and everybody like come, maybe takes it for granted as, oh, yeah, he's a great player. But when he won that, it mm. made everybody want that. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to be the British Open champion because they know the magnitude of what he achieved. Yeah. And and I think that success that we've had in Madison Ho, obviously, for the girls, she was amazing. She she lost the in the semifinal, myself and Scott were sat with her. She lost the first game eleven love. And she won Always. the match. Wow. I think she lost the first fifteen rallies. And then she won the match three one to get the final and won the final. Again, success on the international podium is breeding success back here. And that that hunger and the desire to be successful on the international scene. So, like I said, it's only a matter of time if if everybody keep everybody keeps pushing in the right direction. Um, uh, I think I think it'll only be a matter of time we get there. Well said. And listen, you're you're the man in the trenches doing your thing there, and you know getting getting really stuck in. So, dude, you're doing an incredible job of raising that water level as well. Um, so listen, Luke, this has been incredible. I've loved this chat. And listen, you told this is your second podcast of the day, and it's your second podcast of all time. So you've crushed it, man. You've absolutely crushed it. But if people want to follow you and check you out, um, can you signpost them to your social media channels, please? Yeah, so um, I have an Instagram, it's at lbsquash, um, and I have a website, lbsquash.com. Um, generally, my Instagram is more fun and, and, and kind of just little snippets of the success of the program. But, you know, we're here in Greenwich, Connecticut. Anyone's welcome to come and play and train and have fun and, and just learn the game of squash. Like I, I, I mentioned in my podcast probably today mm -hmm. and, and earlier today that I'm a squash geek. I absolutely love squash. I love uh, I love teaching players from all over the world. I'm I'm fortunate enough to be uh, to be part of this sport, and um, you know, like this year to win the National Coach of the Year award is something that I'm unbelievably proud about. And, and to reflect, I have to thank everybody on my journey. Um, it's just been it's been amazing. So you know, feel free to come and have some fun, play some squash. If if you um, see me out there. Make sure you come and say hello. Uh, let's have a chat about squash. I'll definitely not shy away from that. Maybe not. Maybe not talk about Huddersfield Town right now because we're in a relegation <laughs> battle. But um, I just wanted to thank you, Jesse. Uh, it's been amazing to come on this podcast, and uh, all those kids out there need to work on their mindset. This is the place to be. So I'm super excited, dude. Thank you so much. And listen, we're going to speak soon. Now. Take care, Luke. Thanks a lot. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.